Children, I have a question for you. Here's my question. How do you know if somebody loves you? They act like it, okay? They take care of you. Great. They say that you love you? They hug you? Yeah, good. That's true. Adults, how, how do you know? How do you know if somebody loves you? By action. Yeah. This morning, that's what we're talking about. This morning, we are talking about uh, the love that we have for one another because of God's love for us. So I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4 to look at this. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God For whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Listen to the way this begins in, in, in uh, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, it should come as no surprise to us that we are expected to love one another, Right? I mean, even, even people who are not Christians think that Christians ought to be loving. That's like a, a, a universal truth. That Christians ought to love people. They certainly ought to love one another, and they ought to love other people also. I've even heard non-Christians say this. They say, I don't need to go to church because I already know that I'm supposed to love people. I, I don't need to go to church to be a good person. There's, there's this, this foundational belief that, that Christians are supposed to be loving people. And, and that's true. But, but notice this. It says, beloved, let us love one another. You who are loved, you who are loved, let us love one another. Who are we loved by? We're loved by God. Beloved, those of you who are loved by God love one another. That's how John begins this. He's talking to those who are loved by God. For love is from God. We love because love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not go know God because God is love. We, we, can't, 
We can't not love and say that we know God. If you know anything about God, what you know about God is God is love. God loves you. You are God's loved one. So you can't, you can't say that you know God and also not love. It's, it's not connected. There's, there's a huge disconnect there. We, we, just, we have to say that if we know who God is, then we must love. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Some of you uh, remember a song that I, I remember growing up. I can see Emily's back there going, Beloved, let us love one another. Right? The, the first John 4, 7, and 8 song. Do they still do that one in, in Awana? Do you guys do that one? In, uh, you've done it before in Awana, but not with great regularity. Okay. Th this song that, that we used to sing when I was a kid, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and anyone who... Uh, and anyone who loves, ah, why do I keep doing that? It, it's like I can't quite get the song to make the lyrics match the words, but uh, for love is from God, and, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If, if, we, if we love, it's because we have been born again of God. It's because God has done something in us. It's not because we naturally love we're not great lovers of people. It's because God has done something in us. That's why we are able to love. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God. Because God is love. Now, notice what we are saying here. God is love. That is, that the creator of the universe is characterized by love. He loves people. We are not saying that love is God. This is what my non-Christian friends who say they don't need to go to church because they already know to love people, that's what they think. Love is God. That is, that just loving people is a godly thing, it's a godlike thing, it's a godly characteristic, and they don't need to believe in a God in order to love. For them, love is God. But I think what we're going to see in a minute is that our definitions of love then are a little different. Because what they, by and large, are saying is, I love people, meaning I am not hostile toward them. I do not hate them. I am not antagonistic toward them, therefore I must love them. And what we are going to see in just a moment is that we are talking about a different category of love. A kind of love that when it expresses itself within the people of God, when God's people love, them, love each other in this way, the rest of the community takes notice and says, that's different. That's different. And somehow, I have heard both of those things from non-Christian friends. 
On the one hand, they will say, I don't need to go to church because I already love people. I don't need to believe in God in order to be a good person and love people. And then they hear about the kind of love that we have for one another here, and they say, now that's a different kind of love. That's that's amazing. You have a community of people that loves each other and encourages each other and supports one another like that? I don't, I don't have friends like that. I don't have, they're, what they're saying, though they don't put these words to it, is I don't have that kind of love in my life. That's the kind of love that we're talking about this morning. That's the kind of love that comes from God. We're not talking about just tolerating other people smiling at them, not being angry with them, not yelling at them, not being hostile toward them. We're not just talking about that. We are talking about a different kind of love. This is the kind of love that we're talking about, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. What kind of love are we talking about? We are talking about a sacrificial kind of a love. That God the Father sent his only son into the world so that we might have life. We who were spiritually dead in our sins have found life in Christ because God so loved us that he sent his son into the world. We talked last week about a humility the humility of Jesus. That Jesus himself being God stepped into his own creation and took on flesh. Setting aside his glory and all the honor that was due him, he took the form of a servant so that he could walk among us and identify with who we are. Take our sins upon himself and then pay the the debt for those sins. That is the kind of love that we are talking about. That kind of humble, sacrificial love. The kind of love that takes initiative to take care of the needs of people who don't deserve it. That kind of love. Because that's what Jesus did. He saw us He saw us in our sin. He knew that we did not deserve His love but saw that we had a great need. And he said, I'm going to take care of that need even though you don't deserve it. How often have we seen somebody in need and wondered, should I help or not? Do they deserve my help? Will they respond in what I consider to be an appropriate way if given help in their need? Or do they not deserve it? Jesus looked at us and said, they don't deserve it, and I'm going to help anyway. That is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In this, we know what kind of love we are talking about. In this way, God demonstrates his love. When I asked, how do you know if you are loved? What was I told? They show you. They show you. 
They might tell you, I love you, but how do I really know if I'm loved? They showed me. They demonstrated their love. Some sort of action was taken to demonstrate that behind the words was true um, affection. They loved me. They showed me. When I was in need, there they were. They took care of me. They helped me. That is how I know. That is how I know that they love me. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It was demonstrated to us. How do we know that God loves us? It is in this, that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do we think that we come to church because we love God? We come to church because we love God and therefore God loves us because we love him. Is that what we think? Sometimes that's what I think. If you were to ask me, I would never use those words. But sometimes I think that God loves me because I love him. God loves me because I come to church. God loves me because I read my Bible. God loves me because I pray. When in fact, I come to church and I read my Bible and I pray because God loves me. Has loved me has loved me since way before I was lovely. In fact, the only reason that I am lovely in God's sight is because he loved me and made me loved. Have you ever seen a transformation in someone? Because they felt love for the first time? In my family, in my extended family, there are a lot of adoptions. And I have seen on more than one occasion a child adopted into a family where they were demonstrated and showed love for really the first time in their lives and it was transformative for them. Because they had never felt loved before. It was survival mode before, and now somebody loves them and is caring for them, is watching out for them. And it was transformative for them. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us first. And this is what he did. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I know all of you are just going, oh, I love propitiation. Propitiation is that uh, God took care of, he, he cleansed, washed over, removed the sin that uh, is a part of us. He took care of that, paid the debt for that, and removed it so that we might be loved. Jesus became the atonement, the sacrifice on our behalf. 
Because of our sins, we deserved to die, and Jesus took our place. He became the propitiation for our sins. And he taking our punishment upon, our, upon himself so that we might be set free. That is the kind of love that God has for you. If you get nothing else out of this message, I want you to know that. That God has a great, great love for you. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes, and I want you to think about the, what is the worst thing that you have ever done to another person. That thing that every time you think about it, you just get that stabbing feeling. When you think about it, it it's like a, the, the shame that, that rushes into your mind and the guilt that overwhelms because of that thing that you did. I want you to know that God knows about that. He saw it when it happened. He knew your motivation. He knew what you were thinking. The whole time, he knows the damage that it caused. And what he has done is he has sent his son to die on the cross for that sin and every other sin that you have committed. He didn't ignore it. He's not ignorant of it. He didn't pretend that it didn't happen. He's fully aware of everything that is uh, encompassed in that event in your life. And he said, I am going to deal with it so that you don't have to have any shame with regard to that incident ever again. You don't have to have guilt about that incident again because I am dealing with it. I am covering it over. You are loved by me. You can open your eyes again. I want you to feel that love of God today. When we believe in Jesus, he removes our sin. And he removes the guilt and the shame that is associated with it because he gives us a new life, a brand new life in him. This is how God demonstrates his love for us. It is an overwhelming love. The kind of love that you, you can hardly believe really exists. Because those things in my past, those things that I have done that I am so ashamed of, that I hope no one ever finds out about, God already knows. And he loves me anyway. And he said, whatever the cost for that sin, I will pay it. Whatever the debt incurred, I will pay it. And ultimately, I will make it all right again. That's the kind of love 
that God has for us. Don't you see how far beyond a general, I have a love for my fellow humankind, that is? Identifying with us, understanding us in our sin, and taking that upon himself so that he could set us free from it? Taking the initiative for those who don't deserve it to help them in their time of need? That is the kind of love that God has for us. And, and here's what I think. I think that for us then, we also ought to love like he loved us. When it talks about for, uh, for God so loved us, this is how he loved us. This is the way in which he loved us. This is the way then in which we ought to love one another, right? Beloved, you who are loved by God, let us love one another. I don't think that we can change what kind of love we're talking about there. Those of you who are so loved by God that he took on flesh, took on your sin and paid the debt for your sins so that you might be worthy in his sight? Would you have a general affection for mankind? No. Beloved, those who are so loved by God, you are now called to love one another. Because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love doesn't know God. Because God is love. We are called to this kind of love for one another. This kind of humble, sacrificial, unworthy love. Which is why when that exists in a community like this, and someone from outside this community hears about it, they say, what? They did what for you? They did what for you? After you were sick, after you had a baby, after you, then they brought meals, they asked how they could help. They helped you move. I've had people before that I was talking with that they're going, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this because I've got this thing that I have to do. And I went, really? Man, if I had to do something like that, I would just talk with people in my church and they'd come right over and help. Really? Usually I have to pay somebody if I want them to help me with this. Yeah, you got to find a church, man. It's way cheaper to have friends. But this is the kind of love that we have for one another. And I think that sometimes we walk into church and we think, yeah, I love people. When in fact our, our way of living, our, um, let's call it normal routine, is rather selfish. It's rather self-centered. And we think that we're loving. If we asked you, do you think that you're loving, you would probably say, yeah. I mean, I'm not hating anybody. 
I'm not being rude. I'm not being unkind. I'm not doing any damage to anyone else. Yeah, I think I probably love them. But when you're talking about love in this context, then if we say, are you loving? Then the question is, how have I demonstrated love? Right? Because that's what we said at the very beginning. Even the kids were going, the way that I know if somebody loves me is they show me. Okay, so what have you done to demonstrate love? How do you know that you are loving others? How do you know? What have you done? Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If this is the way in which God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. I've been thinking about what does this look like on a practical basis? How how do we really demonstrate love for one another? Sometimes it's when somebody in our life group has a need. They're moving or they're sick or they're recovering from surgery or something, and we find out how we can help them. Maybe they need meals. Maybe they need transportation to get from one place to another. Maybe they need their house cleaned. Maybe they just need somebody to talk to. How do we demonstrate love for them? One of the things that I have um, been thinking about a lot in the last couple of days is the announcement that the governor made, right? Some of you have probably heard this announcement. It went like this. If you have been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask, indoors or outdoors. This was a very public announcement. Then we got an email. We have a faith liaison, somebody who is the liaison to the governor's office and the faith community. And we got an email from them saying, we will tell you what this means for churches next week. In my mind, that's a little bit late because they had very publicly told everybody what the expectations were without telling businesses and churches and things what the expectations were in specific. So I expect to, in the next couple of days, find out what that means for churches for next Sunday. We have um, followed governor's guidelines up to this point. I expect that we will be neither more strict nor more lenient than what the guidelines are going forward. But I don't know what those specifics mean. Here's one thing that I do know. We have the potential to have division within the congregation because certain people will have an ability to go unmasked while others will be required to wear masks. That's a difficult place to be. Up until this point, all of the guidelines applied to all of us evenly. We were all in this together. We were all united in this together. Now, I don't want to know, I don't need to know, I should say, what your vaccination status is. Just by way of illustration, not by way of anything else. I am currently fully vaccinated. My children are not. 
they are old enough that they must wear a face covering, but not so old that they are able to be vaccinated, which means that whatever the guidelines are, I know for certain for my children, they will be required to wear a mask while I have the freedom to go unmasked. Out of love for my children, I intend to wear a mask while they need to wear a mask. So next Sunday, whatever the guidelines are, I will stand up if I'm able, unmasked for preaching, but apart from that, we'll wear a mask in support of my children to stand alongside them. And out of my love for you in the same way, if there is anyone in here wearing a mask, I will wear a mask too. Not because I'm trying to virtue signal, not because I'm afraid of the coronavirus, but so that we don't have unnecessary division in the church. I want to stand with you so that we can be the same, so that we don't have unnecessary division. I am not going to require that from everybody, but I would invite you to find ways to show love, demonstrate love, for one another. Perhaps that's in words of encouragement. Maybe you can encourage people. It is at times like this when there are obvious differences between people that we might resent freedoms that other people might have. Or we might make judgments on what other people are choosing to do and how they're choosing to do things. And we want to demonstrate love for one another in the way that we speak to one another. We don't want to take out our frustrations on what the government says and doesn't say on one another and let that build up in the way that we express ourselves to one another. We want to demonstrate love in our words. We want to demonstrate love in our actions. Maybe it will be acts of service in the way that you care for somebody else. You're, you're paying attention to what are the needs of your fellow Christians in this body, and how can I help care for that? Maybe it's spending time together. You just say, you know what? I just really don't know this person that well, and so I want to spend time with them. Can we go get lunch? I don't, I don't know you very well. Can we go get lunch together? One of the things that I have greatly missed is that once a month, we used to always have a shared meal together. I am looking forward to June 6th. On June 6th, we are going to have a shared meal again together. It's a simple way that we can spend time together. But look for other opportunities. Join a life group. I know for some, you go, ah, boy, life group, it'd be one more night a week. It'd be another thing that I would need to do. Yeah, that's true. But if you, can, if you can give up some time to be a part of a community like that, it is not always fun to be a part of a life group. Sometimes we annoy each other. But by being in a life group together, you build that closeness. You know people's needs. You have opportunity to show love to one another. And so I would encourage you to get engaged in that way. 
Maybe you just hear about somebody's need and you want to give them a gift and show them, hey, I love you. Maybe you want to write somebody a note of encouragement. You've heard about something that's going on with them and you just want to write them a note and send it to them and say, I've been thinking about you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you this week. There are all kinds of different ways that we can demonstrate love toward one another, but the expectation is that because we have been loved by God, we will love one another. I think we should express God's love to other people outside the church as well. We are not merely recipients of God's love, but conduits of his love. We receive his love and pass it on to other people. And I think that that should happen in the community out there and to our family and our friends and our neighbors and co-workers. But if that is true for the way that we love them, how much more in here? How much more among this group of people where we all share this love of God together? where for one another we are sacrificing and demonstrating God's love. What a testimony that is of how great God's love is. In fact, in verse 12 it says this. Let me read verse 11 again, then we get to verse 12. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, No one has ever seen God if we love in one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one hasn't, has ever seen God, but when we love one another, they see the character of who God is. God's love is then perfected in us. Not that God's love is incomplete, right? God's love is complete, He loves us fully. There is nothing lacking in his love, but it finds its goal and its purpose not just in our receiving it, but also in our expressing it so that others also may see how great God's love is. It glorifies him when we love one another. It expresses his love to its fullest when it is also demonstrated among us and not just received by us. This is what it means when it says, and his love is perfected in us when we love one another. We are not yet there. We are not yet there. If I ask you, are you a loving person? You may say, yeah, I'm a loving person. But there is not one of us in whom the love of God has been fully perfected. There is room for more. This is not the kind of thing that you can do by your own strength, right? I'm not saying, so what you need to do now is you just need to try and love harder. Let me tell you, you will wear yourself out trying to love harder. But the more that we understand God's love, the more we will sacrificially express it and the less it will feel like a sacrifice to do it. I'm, I'm reminded of the parable of the one who received much and the one who, uh, the one who was forgiven much and the one who was forgiven little. The one who was forgiven much 
was very generous and loved much because they knew how much they had been forgiven. The one who had been forgiven little, less so. We have been forgiven much. We have been loved greatly. And the more we see God's love for us, the more then we are able, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, to love others well. Can we pray to that end? First, that he would love us, that we would feel his love for us. And then second, that he would express his love through us to others as well. Now, I told you a few minutes ago that if you got nothing else from this sermon, that I wanted you to know how much God loved you. And what I'm afraid of is that then I got into some examples about how we would love other people, and your takeaway would be, I really need to love people more. He's asking me to do something for the sake of the church. And so I want to come back and remind you about how great God's love for you is. Because the rest of it is incidental. God's love for you is so great that in your weakest point, in your greatest need, he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. That is how much God loves you. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us one even as you are one. That we would so love one another that there would be no division here. Lord, it sounds wonderful to say that and yet we know how difficult it really is. That sacrifice is not easy. That giving up our selfish tendencies for others is not pleasant. But, love, but Lord, we pray that we would be uh, so captivated by how much you love us that we would love others in the same way. And Father, I pray that as we do that, it would bring glory to you and to your name. That in this place, everyone would feel loved both by you and by the others that surround them here. And that those in the community would hear and see and feel your love extended to them as well. So that they might glorify you when you come again. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.